Hi, this is Emily of Beauties and Headcanons. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. This is Jessica Hammer, co-host of Crowned and Dangerous here on Public House Media. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Once you are done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Crowned and Dangerous, where Maddie and I talk about all things pageant-related, especially our experiences in the Miss America organization. A new show comes out bi-weekly, every other Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Crowned and Dangerous. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. words to that i never know the words to songs though i don't either i just sing and i don't even sing along them right people are like what are you singing i was like i know you know the song it goes bye 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 and they're like no in sync it's like the easiest thing to sing and why can't what like you know what (laughs) why can't you sing bye 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 i don't know i can't (laughs) hi How's it going? Hello. (laughs) Right? Cool. So here we are. We are in episode 10, 1, 0. This has been quite an adventure. Um, How are you feeling about it, Nikki? Oh, man, Sarah. I mean, first of all, like selfishly getting to spend a lot of time with you has been fantastic. Because for those of you who don't know, like Sarah and I, we knew each other, but we've really had to get to know each other. We took like personality profiles before we started working together. We laid a bunch of groundwork and we set rules and expectations and we did our strengths and our weaknesses. And we did all of this huge amount of homework before we ever even really agreed to do a podcast. And then we got to a point where we just like had to push the baby bird off the cliff. And that was disarming disability that we pushed off this cliff. Yeah. (laughs) And after we pushed it off the cliff, we've just been kind of trying to fly and it has been, it has been super rewarding slash so exhausting. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, absolutely <laughs> exhausting. And it's like every week there is this, all of these little details. And, and because we want to produce good content and it's not just recording. It's not just calling someone and having a 45 minute conversation with them. It's all of the legwork building the relationship in order to be able 
to even ask that person if they want to come on and 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 talk to us and then developing all the questions and and how we want to outline the conversation with them um but then it's also like transcribing episodes that takes a long time and and coming up with discussion questions and making sure that we're being really intentional about what we are producing and that it's not like yes it is a podcast but it's larger than actually recording and putting that out because it's it's not just that and learning what are all those little details that need to be taken and and done sort of in between so I'm learning a lot totally yeah it's been really really fun and scary and just like you said like both the thing that we have in common is we both well there's a couple of things we do way too much. Yeah, <laughs> we do way too much because we feel so passionately about the message that we have and and the words that we want to share. Um, so we're just juggling lots of personal projects, but that's great because we're both investing in a lot of our different identities, and I think we need to in order to be balanced human beings. Right. Right. Um, but you know, we're fighting with with full-time actual full-time jobs or full-time school or or whatever it is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so it's been it's been amazing and I know that we'll talk more about this once we get to our final episode and we actually are deconstructing and talking about what season two will look like Mm -hmm. and and already already in this season there are so many things that were like great in season two we're gonna do it this way like that's Mm -hmm, such a common mm -hmm. way that we talk to each other now which is fun too it's fun to be in a space where we're close enough to the like the the finish the first finish line where we'll be able to like regroup make things better and like fly again or like be pushed off a different cliff (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it's good, but it's exhausting and real life happens, man. Real life happens. And uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's how I'm feeling. What about you? How are you feeling? I feel this. I mean, I feel very similarly. I I also want to reflect back on, I think it was in our first couple of episodes where we were really talking about what we want to do with this and why we're doing it and what we believe in. Um, and there was a moment where you're like, this is what Sarah and I have been doing where we, this is what we've been spending our free time on. And I think that that's really important that like all of this is our free time. And again, all of our personal projects, like this isn't the only thing that I'm doing. And, and I'm sure you've had messages like this too. I had a friend text me. She's like, Oh my God, you did this and you did this and you did this and you're in field work and you're living in a new city. And she's like, do you ever sleep? And I was like, no, I mean, like I don't. And then (laughs) trying to remember to like actually take time for myself to take care of my body and, and like do fun things with friends that has no other like larger impact meaning for society other than just enjoying time alone and enjoying time with people that I love um, and not feeling all stressed out with all my little to-do lists those are all my projects that I keep yeah. on, so I'm sure. Yeah, I definitely feel that sense of, it's weird because yet again, this like fire that we keep talking about that we've let this light that's turned on in both of us, it gives you this huge sense of responsibility. Like, I feel like I have this responsibility to be doing something like this. Mm-hmm. Like if it wasn't a podcast, it would be some other version of what we're doing. And so that responsibility is a really real feeling to me. And um and, and it's, it's hard because you want to like fulfill that responsibility or find ways that you're feeling like you're connecting to the community while also, you know, like having a beer with your friends on Friday night and not feeling guilty because you're not transcribing episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really think that that's what helps, helps all those late nights and all those early mornings is that we just believe in this. Um, so much. So that helps kind of drive and push us forward, which is fun. It's been 
it's been a ride, man. It has been a ride. We're not done yet, so <laughs> we're not there quite yet. But we're we're getting close. And I think it's important to take moments of like look at where we've come. And I think that self-reflection is really important through all stages of this. I, I think self-reflection in general is really important in all stages of all of this. So it's important yeah. to take a moment moment and be appreciative of where we come, um, and appreciative of what we created and knowing how we can do it differently for next time, but not getting hung up on like, oh well, if we had just done this or if this has just happened. Cause I think it's really yeah. easy to get stuck in those circles and those sort of like cycles or what am I those scripts in our minds um so it's good to come over so yes we are doing it it's also summer's coming so I'm just really excited to be out of the winter and sort of just really looking forward to what summer brings and just places of joy and happiness in totally change. I totally totally and change life is changing yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so cool. Well, should we move on um, and introduce our guest? Yeah. All right, let's hop into it. Let's waste no more time. Here we go. Luca Baghdadi is a doctor in disability studies with a background in clinical psychology and theology. Luca promotes individual and community growth holistically and inclusively. He teaches at Loyola University and Chicago's Institute of Pastoral Studies and DePaul University's Peace, Justice, and Conflict Study programs. He is involved with LARSH, communities of shared life between people with and without intellectual disabilities, and he has given a TED Talk based on his community experience called Embrace Your Inabilities. More info on Luca's background may be found at lucabeddetti.com. Hey, wonderful. Well, Luca, how, how has your week been? Hello, I'm, uh, the week has been going pretty well. I'm currently in Rome. I came back here uh, in January. I was in Chicago just before. So it's been a good week so far. That's fabulous. I'm, I'm very jealous. I wish I was in Rome right now. That sounds very <laughs> wonderful. Okay, Luca, so for today, you're going to talk to us about um, sort of the relationship in being an ally. Um, so let's just open up and go right into it. What does it mean to be an ally for people with disabilities? <laughs> well, to me, I've discovered the disability world through meeting individuals with disabilities and becoming a friend. So entering into mutual friendships. And from there, I got to know disability culture, the disability population, the needs of the disability world. So to be an ally, I think is to, at least that's one way of understanding it, is to recognize the needs of people with disabilities and to advocate for them and to journey alongside people with disabilities. I know in one of the TED Talks that I watched of you, which we'll put that link on our website too, so you can see it there. I know in the TED Talk you had spoken about this, our inabilities, and that everyone has an inability, that there are things that we are unable to do and require help for doing. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, sort of in your experience and being an ally? Well, first of all, you know, the, the, the choice of inabilities was, I think, relevant because it's something that we can all relate to. Basically, we all have abilities and we all have inabilities. There is some disagreement as to whether we're all disabled or not. Mm -hmm. 
some people say no absolutely not because you know we don't want to diminish the experience of people with specific physical and intellectual disabilities if we start saying that we're all disabled while some mm-hmm. people are more towards the well we all have disabilities but they often seem to actually mean inabilities when they say that although it's also true that disability I think it's becoming more and more of a fluid identity in some ways. Many of us can identify as disabled, maybe, you know, as we age or as different, as we experience different things. So I think the, the term disability now is used in a more fluid way. Uh, but anyway, in living in community with people with intellectual disabilities, I really sort of saw in my own eyes how we all need one another. So it's not just people with disabilities needing the help of people without disabilities or vice versa. It's about mutual relationships, Mm -hmm. you know. So to me, meeting people with disabilities was about entering into friendship when I first started living in L'Arche, which is a community in which people with and without intellectual disabilities live together in a spirit of belonging. And uh, that has impacted me deeply. And uh, I've learned a lot from that experience, both about being a friend and being an ally. Well, and I think it's really important, this concept of, of being a friend and that you are in this, I, words that I heard were like mutual relationship with someone that you were equals in that relationship and that it's not someone who is like, here, I'm going to be your ally. I have all the answers. I have all these capabilities abilities and I'm going to help you person with a disability because you're sort of this like under person in our society so like look I'm wonderful and I'm giving you these things and I need to be praised on how wonderful I am because that's not the narrative that we want and that's that's not the power differential that we're seeking either and I think that what you're saying about that mutual friendship that equality that it's like these are two people and these friendships exist and they're beautiful where you do have that that equality there. Also because, you know, when we say ally to, you know, the people with disabilities, there is a profound beauty there in regards to awareness and sensitivity and joining with. It can be easy to stay outside of the group if we just say, well, I care about disability issues, okay. But I think when we become friends, there is an actual involvement and a relationship that happens in which it's not just a people, a group, but it's also individuals with their own specific needs and their own stories and their own desires and needs and wants. So yes, I'm an ally of people with disabilities, but I'm also a friend of Tom, Jimmy, Sarah, et cetera, et cetera. Can you speak a little bit more about some of these relationships that you've had? So I discovered about L'Arche, which is a French word for the arc this movement of community was started in France. They're now all over the world. I felt I needed, I wanted community. And uh, there was something special about this community in which day-to-day life, you know, was lived in like very simple way. And uh, so I went, I remember the first, my first visit, I just went with uh, one of the core members. That's how people with disabilities are called in large in the English-speaking world core because they're at the heart of community. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time I went to visit, I went with a core member and a house coordinator, you know, grocery shop. And, you know, many people might have, other organizations might have different types of orientations, so to speak. 
when new people mm -hmm. arrive. Well, I was just visiting. But, you know, going to the supermarket, you know, it's such a simple thing, but you're doing it together. And that's really important, you know. Uh, it changes the experience. So even going grocery shopping, you know, was something that can be shared. I've learned a lot from people right. with intellectual disabilities about what it means to be human. I think we are such a society that is a bit obsessed with intellectual power mm -hmm. and it excludes people that it deems uh, not smart enough or not quick enough or not productive enough, et cetera, et cetera. And we see this a lot, you know, with older people with dementia, et cetera, et cetera, that they're not really, they're kind of outside of the social, social cultural milieu, you know? And I think at the heart of being human is not just, you know, reason, but the heart living in relationship. People with intellectual disabilities have helped me see this. I still remember one day I was away for vacation and I came back to the house where I was living and the core, core member who is a friend of mine and who has Down syndrome, uh, you know, as soon as I came in, he welcomed me, gave me a hug and he looked at me in the eyes and he said, did you miss me? You know, did, <laughs> did I miss him while I was gone? And there was such a vulnerability and honesty in that statement that is just one example of how living in community can really sort of bring us together and make us feel that we are important part of a bigger whole in which both people with Absolutely. intellectual disabilities and without are important. I'm in school to be an occupational therapist as well. So I know things that we talk about all of the time in occupational therapy is people engaging in their meaningful activities and going back to grocery shopping, like that is a daily task that people need to do and want to do and enjoy doing or don't like doing. Regardless, that's an aspect of daily living and that all people, you know, have have rights to enjoy and, and engage in all of those parts of daily living, whatever that looks like and to whatever degree people are able and want to be able to engage in those different types of things. And, and I think that it's easy to, to see and I know even in my own life and you know when people see my hand and then they start asking a lot of questions and they're like oh well how do you do your hair how do you do this how do you do this and you're like well like I do them I don't just sit in my room and like wait for people to do them for me and like yes sometimes I drop stuff or sometimes it's clunky or sometimes I, I need to you know do 10 extra steps to do things but it just is this interesting because we don't see a lot of disability in our media and and we don't know the social scripts around it overall as a society that we sort of assume because we're not seeing it we can't imagine what it can look like and that we think that people are sort of just this recipients of care sort of unable to do a lot of things and that's so not true and that yes people with disabilities are going grocery shopping and they are playing games with their friends and they are sitting around and eating dinner and helping to make dinner and that these are all opportunities that people can meaningfully engage in things in their lives and then that helps develop those meaningful relationships and those real friendships that all of us want to do and can do and are capable of doing and that like capacity for love isn't limited to people who are able-bodied, if you will, but it, that's, those are things that we all have access to do and it can look different amongst different people, but we still all have the ability to do so. You mentioned an important word, which is enjoyment. People have often tried to change people with disabilities, people with intellectual disabilities. Well, you should learn more, you should do this this way, you should act that way, you should behave that way. Blah, blah, blah. You know. And yes, we want people to grow in their skills, to help people achieve, you know, 
what they want, etc., etc. And I think friendship brings that element of also enjoying time together. So I remember one of the core members we used to go drive. I mean, I used to drive, and we just used to go on a ride and listen to music, you know, because it's something that we enjoy doing together, you know. But yes, and that that component of friendship, and I think even the word friendship, similarly to the word partner, shares that equality and mutual respect and understanding for the other person and that level. And again, just sort of reiterating that aspect of equality too, which I think is important and that these relationships are real and exist and are important. We also have to be honest and aware of power dynamics and differences. Mm-hmm. You bring in the issue of power, it's really important. When people use the words like, you know, we're like a family or we're all friends, etc., etc. Hopefully, yes, as long as that doesn't hide what can be or what are, you know, power imbalances, you know? Do you have ways to sort of appropriately navigate power imbalances? A first step and a really important step is to be aware of those. You know, when people say that awareness can bring about change, you know, first, some people are not aware of them. They don't see them. For some people, it's like they're so uh, steeped in power dynamics that they cannot see a whole lot from, you know, from the outside sort of thing or kind of, you know, distance themselves from it, from them a little bit. I think once we become aware of them and are even able to talk about them, you know, I think mm-hmm. change, change can happen there. But often you might need training or someone to help you see that because if people are too immersed in them, they might not be able to see them right away. That reminds me of a book that I'm reading right now. Um, It's called Mm -hmm. Counseling People with Disfigurement that was written by Eileen Bradbury. And she talks a lot about this aspect of helping and sort of who the helper is and what the helper role is. And it's not the responsibility of the helper to come in and solve things. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's the responsibility of the helper and the person who is receiving help to join in this mutual agreement of what help is needed that's derived from the individual who's wants the help and the individual who's able to provide the help. But it's this mutual relationship. They talk about like scaffolding and structuring the relationship so that expectations are managed on both ends and they know what that looks like. And the helper is there to help the person achieve the components that they want to achieve. So the helper is not finding all the answers the helper is not telling the person how to do x y and z and that if you need this done well you have to do it this way and these are the things that you need to do to resolve whatever situation but more so there to help guide that person um so that they can find the answers on their own within themselves as much as possible um and then you know sort of like when that relationship ends then then understanding that yes we received the help and we gave the help and it's over versus someone becoming really dependent on the helper and that helper then gaining the sort of power dynamics where the helper is is the only person that's able to do or help with this certain task and then the the person becomes dependent on the helper and then Mm. the relationship sort of gets exploited in that way so i just thought that that was really interesting that it was both people are are entering with this mutual agreement and then understanding what that is and then ultimately the person who wants the help is is working to try to find those answers on their own versus being told what they needed to do the importance of the disability rights movement and the advocacy movement how far we've gone 
because here's at least if I think about the population of people with intellectual disabilities, the era of institutionalization is not that long ago. A lot has been changed, not everything. I mean, there is still some mentality which is quite institutional. There has been quite some change happening. I also want to sort of go back just briefly to the when you asked about ally. I really, really am interested in uh, learning more and more how do we learn or how can we hear the needs of people with profound intellectual disabilities? People yes. who might not be able to speak, move, etc. And in that sense, the, the ally, being an ally is so important because many people, I mean, people can communicate in different ways, right? I think also someone yes, yes. who cannot move, cannot speak, can still communicate. I'd like to learn more and more though how to better hear because it's not always an easy thing, but it's an important thing, you know? And I think yes, yes. being an ally for people with profound intellectual disabilities, with people that cannot speak for themselves, it's really important. And often they're not really talked yes. about. They're kind of forgotten, which, which is a pity, you know? And they're humans and they exist mm -hmm. and they're people and they mm -hmm. have wants and desires and feelings that people have because they're human and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes well yes and they experience and having that be very difficult to communicate people to people you know sort of what those needs and desires are i'm also thinking sort of in this relationship that we have when we are working on being an ally sort of exploring are there things that are important to really understand about ourselves as we're taking on being an ally role i know one of them was sort of understanding the power differential dynamic that could exist and being really mindful of that. Um, are there other types of things that are important to know within ourselves in order to be effective allies? There are so many different ways of being an ally, so it's a bit difficult. For example, somebody might have a friend with a disability and their friend tells them that, you know, the city is not accessible. So they might join into mm -hmm. being an ally for accessibility, which is great. Mm -hmm. Some other people might know even more about disability issues in general. So they might actually study them and they might actually inform themselves about all different kinds of issues. So I think there can be different ways of becoming an ally uh, that it's hard right now to just think of, you know, advice for, for all, so to speak. For everybody. Oh, yeah. I think it's important to always hear the experience of people with disabilities and to give space to that, not imposing one's understanding on it, but to really make space. So look, what is your experience? Try to understand it, to hear what the needs are so that you can be, you know, an informed ally hearing and giving the space in order to listen and i love that aspect of not interjecting i think that goes back to that helping model too i was i was trying to explain there that um that not just providing answers but really helping to hear and understand and give space for someone to share what their needs are and maybe their needs aren't what an ally thinks that their needs should be so i think that that's really important too um, also, can you explain a little bit more of different roles of allies? So I, I know the one that you had mentioned was um, helping to advocate for a more accessible city, whether that be like bus stops that are more accessible or T-stops that are more, you know, metro train stops that are more accessible. What are other ways that people can be allies? Oh, well, just some that come to mind, standing up against bullying when people with intellectual disabilities, you know, are being bullied to stand up and 
speak out for people with disabilities. So for example, bringing in disability issues and disability discourses into everyday conversation. Disability issues are really, in some way, they are about us all in different ways. In one way, I was saying before how disability can be a fluid identity. In other mm -hmm. words, anyone might experience a physical disability or an intellectual or whatever at some point in their lives. So mm -hmm. disability issues are not just about them, you know, the group of people with right, disabilities, right. but they can actually, they affect us all. At mm -hmm. the same time, they're about us all because at least the social model of disability, which is a sort of way of looking at disability that emphasizes the social and structural barriers that people with impairments face. Well, the social model says that disability in some ways created by oppressive social and structural barriers. And therefore we should all ask ourselves that question you know how can we change our social structures and contexts so that they become more enabling so really bringing disability issues into many conversations is a way of uh, of being an ally already you know it's like these issues matter yeah and then there is i mean many other ways even just you know speaking about friendships of experiences that people might have had with disability with people with disabilities sometimes it can be as simple as that of course participating in disability causes uh, politics etc so many different levels the politics also makes me think about be, i mean again we should be mindful on all things related to politics especially with bills and policies that are being written but really understanding how laws right now especially with healthcare, because that's something that's always in dynamic here in the united states and that looking at how those policies whether that's granting access or limiting access or sort of capping reimbursements or things like that, how that really is impacting people with disabilities and the services that they're able to access. And then also knowing that if people at any point, like you had said, could encounter disability in their own lives, and then those policies are then impacting them too. So it, it really is all of us. I think that's something to be really mindful of too, really understanding what reimbursement looks like. Well, wonderful. We also want to be mindful of your time too. Um, is there anything that's we didn't talk about that is really important to talk about or that you'd like to share? Well, it's really interesting how to also engage into intercultural dialogue in regards to disability. I just saw a course um, okay. uh, on theology of disability, this one, and now I started one on disability studies and introduction. Anyway, to have students from uh, all over the world and their own cultural experience of disability is quite interesting. I think sometimes, at least, you know, I've had, I have a doctorate in disability studies, which is a discipline that has developed quite a bit in the Western world. I mean, I don't have an, I don't have an answer, it's a question, you know, and, and teaching this course has helped me become aware of it more. How do we engage in multicultural dialogue? I mean, we can, but when mm -hmm. people might have very different cultural understandings of disability and uh, becoming yes. an ally, you know, to people with disabilities and uh, recognizing our own cultural frameworks that we operate in, you know. Questions are so important. Being in touch with the question sometimes may lead you into the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just already, because yes, often we think we have to solve or find the answer, but sometimes just 
knowing what the question is moves us in the direction, you know? Absolutely. When I think about that in a cultural context too, in different courses that I've taken, it's important to not sort of try to go in and implement things that are going to change a culture, mm. right? And, and that we are appreciating, respecting the cultures that we all are living in. But then how can we also ensure that the culture is supportive and respectful of all people within the culture? I think it's hard too to, to sort of piece through all of that and and that disability looks very different in lots of different cultures with saying culture five times in the same sentence. And knowing that different sort of groups explain disability differently and, and correlate different things to disability as well. And, and whether that's a heavily religious component or whether that's a heavily sort of like guilt component or whether that's a pride component. And that that looks differently so so looking at someone who is in a western culture studying disability and, and trying to really be promote and prideful of people with disability you know to help find others and old other cultures access their pride too that's a big question in speaking about empowerment in speaking about helping remove disabling barriers how there can be such a, yes, that makes sense kind of thing across cultures, you know? So I think, yes, there are cultural differences, but also there is like, I think a human sense about yeah. what is just and what is not, you know? And then, you know, it, cultures are different, but at the same time, we're all human, you know? So I think yes. if we can connect yes. at that level, yeah. you know, the, how can we live more humanely and how can we help people live more humanely? Right. I think we can connect across cultures right. there, you know? That reminds me of something I wrote in my journal when I was on my exchange student trip. And, and I know that Italy and the United States are both sort of Western cultures. But one thing I wrote was that like people are, are like laughing and crying here right now at the same time that I'm laughing and crying and that I... I don't speak Italian and I don't know the movie that they're talking about, but I can still connect with people on a very human level and laugh and cry with people, even though I don't know the larger context of what's happening, but I still feel it. I still feel that this is a really excited moment and someone is really happy. So I can still connect on that level of being happy with someone. And on the flip side too, being angry with someone, being sad with someone, you know, being excited or, or any of these other emotions where we're still humans and people feel them cross cultures, cross disabilities, cross, you know, yes, all of those and, things. And, and that we can connect on that human level. There is a beauty about presence beyond words, mm -hmm. beyond ideas. I've actually just written a book called I Believe in You. This has stayed with me so much that I've included at the end of the book as a sort of, you know, epilogue. I was in a large home and uh, at a certain point I was watching a cartoon with a core member because he liked that cartoon. And, mm -hmm. you know, so that was nice. I watched the cartoon, etc. And then I see books by my side. You know, there was a bookshelf or something. I pick up a book. I started reading it and he touches the book and closes it. <laughs> you know, like, I really thought, you know, well, the importance of being present, you know, beyond yes. words and ideas and one more book and, you know, watching the cartoon together, that's fine enough, you know? <laughs> presence is really, is really important. Presence in that human experience and listening and hearing and opening up that space. Those are all really beautiful things. And maybe that helps being an ally, you know, like mm -hmm. being able to connect 
to people's experiences and their needs. Um, it's, it's really valuable now. Yeah, oh, it was wonderful. Well, great. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Luca. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Um, it's been a really wonderful conversation. I'm so excited. I could um, stay here hours. We can go hours. Oh my gosh, forever! <laughs> <laughs> here it's nighttime, though. So oh, that's wonderful. Oh, wonderful. All right. Great. Thank you so much, though, for your hospitality, for making of space uh, for uh, so that I could share some of, of the experience. I'm glad you wanted to hear it. And thank you for doing this uh, needed podcast, you know. We want to give special thanks to our network, Public House Media, for our intro beats, Jason Barnes at Cybernetics, for our logo art, Patrice, you can find him at normalpersons.com, and Matt Meldrum and Ryan Louie, our two-handed technical team. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or publichousemedia.org. Follow us on Twitter at DisarmDisable. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at DisarmingDisability, and check out our website, DisarmingDisability.com. See you next week. Bye. Emerge 2021, General Dynamics Information Technology's signature virtual event series. See vision brought to life with GDIT and over 40 leading partners showcasing real technology solutions that make an impact today and pave the way for tomorrow. Join leaders across government and industry to explore how to accelerate digital modernization for your IT enterprise. Take a deep dive into emerging technology that will transform the world and learn how defense agencies are advancing the mission with cloud. Register now at GDIT dot com slash emerge. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone it,